second movie was kind of silly but I didn't like the whole oh there really were aliens I wish they'd left it more in the air they should have so well, we're rolling but, uh, are we? okay <clears throat> alright welcome back yeah listeners welcome back to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast this is episode 121 isn't it? is it? there's a nice symmetry Calendar. to that yeah yeah, it's a palindrome. Wow, we should talk about ABBA movies. We should. <laughs> Anything with ABBA. How many think... horror films were they in? I think only about six, six or eight. Yeah. ABBA, ABBA the Awakening, oh, ABBA the Reckoning. ABBA meets the Phantom of the Park? Yes. That's the one. <laughs> ABBA meets Frankenstein, ABBA meets the... Fuck Mummy 2017. <laughs> the, the Ghost of ABBA. Ghost of Fuck Mummy 2017. <laughs> oh, God. So it's going to be one of those episodes, listeners. Brace yourself. Um, thank you to the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at thank the top you. of the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Makes us seem more than what we are at first. Yeah, the checks in the mail. Yeah, right totally. <laughs> um, you can find the music digitally on iTunes or Amazon if you want to buy some songs. Um if you want to say hi to them, they're on the Facebook as the Moon Dash Rays. Uh, and we are not professional critics. We are going to spoil some movies. Um, you've been warned. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolien. Hello. And um, we're going to talk about what we watched since last time. So who wants to kick it off? I'll well, kick it well, off. Be- before, um, uh, oh, yeah. like when we did our podcast, Last Friday, mm-hmm. uh, on that day, uh, John Gavin died. John Gavin. He's uh, he was a Sam Loomis and Psycho. Oh, oh, that's right. I did read that. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, but um, uh, anyway, today is uh, Riku Browning's birthday, so happy birthday. Oh, okay. All right. So we got something sad, something happy. <laughs> so, Will, what have you watched since we did this last? Well, I watched a series on Netflix called The Shannara Chronicles. The Shannara Chronicles. Shannara. Shania? No. The Shanahan Chronicles is what we were calling it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's only funny if you followed the Broncos right. 10 years ago. Uh, Has it been that long since that coach? Probably. I don't know. I think he left probably 2007. Damn. Because I was still at Meiniger's when he left. Yeah. Huh. You know, the joke was, the running joke was that he was rat face. Cause he's got kind of a ratty face. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Would you rather be known as jerk face or rat face if you had a choice? <laughs> wow. Jerk face or rat face. <laughs> <laughs> the age old question. Would you rather... Jerk face or rat face? I think you have to go with jerk face. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, this is a fantasy series that's sort of Planet of the Apes meet Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Um, by way of Game of Thrones, maybe. Wow. Uh, it makes it sound a lot better than it is. Is there apes? No. Oh. The only reason I say Planet of the Apes is because there was evidently some sort of apocalypse, nuclear war. They don't explain it, but... With Marky Mark as an astronaut? Yes. <laughs> oh, and okay. in the future, the quote future, um, there are elves and gnomes and whatnot running around, but they occasionally wander into the... It's not really the forbidden zone, but it would be the forbidden zone where there are artifacts from the past. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we mentioned on the show up front we're not professional critics. I'll tell you why we're not professional critics. We don't get paid for it. Also, I sat around and watched the first season of the show, and I thought, this show's great. I love this show. Even though it's kind of goofy and stupid, I'm enjoying it, you know? They're doing something right. Uh, season two rolls around and you realize, well, shortly before season two rolls around, the thought occurred to me, <laughs> this show is He-Man. I'm watching the live action He-Man. <laughs> and I was like, no, just go with it. It's okay. But season two rolled around and you're like, no, I am. And I told Eugenia, we're watching He-Man. And so now the show has been dubbed He-Man. Now, I don't want to miss lead anyone again i'm not a professional critic who thinks hot damn i want to see a live action he-man there is no actual he-man okay don't, don't think about that but it is basically all this nonsense from some people running the D D group with a couple different manuals thrown in mm-hmm. uh, running a tv show i think the budget and the writing went down significantly in season two but Again, I'm not a professional critic. I can't really assess why my mood changed from day one, thinking, this is great, to the second day of watching season two, going, hmm, this is kind of garbage. Some I've been shows. duped into watching He-Man. Some shows just do that, and they're like, someone gets like an idea, or well, let's change it up. and it's Yeah, and it's based on a fantasy series I've never read from... An author named Terry Brooks. Who, okay. Uh, I believe it's still writing those books. So, and it's got every trope you could imagine. So I can I can only think like, what was going on with me the first day I was watching this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's probably all I've watched, other than some bits and pieces of stuff. Um, on Comet, I also watched a Rift Tracks movie called berserker hell's warrior which is a viking <laughs> movie oh wow i have to go back and rewatch it it was so stunningly bad <laughs> glad to uh, hear that yeah <laughs> that's going to give you a lot to talk about yeah that's going on the case there yeah. we go that's all i've watched this week jolene you want to go next all right well uh i got into shutter yeah. Uh, oh, the network, very not nice. The, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, you know they got a bunch of like uh, European uh, movies, like giallo and horror movies, on there that I hadn't seen before. And uh, you know, at this stage in the game, if it's a movie I haven't seen, it's probably not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not all these uh, recommendations. So shall I begin? Yeah, yes. go ahead. Do it. All strong recommends. Right. I, I started off with, uh, what have you done to Solange? Oh, okay. Yes, Nin- I've heard of this. Yeah. One. So 1972, Massimo Delamano. Um, we almost watched this one back in October. And okay. Then, I don't know. It didn't end up making the cut. So this is one of those uh, uh, jelly that's set in London, like um, All the Colors of the Dark. And- okay. Um, so it's kind of weird watching yes. you know, really familiar streets with you know, beautiful Italians on it. It's like, wow. Where were they in <laughs> um, everyday London? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so did you know the setup of this one? No. Well, I don't remember. This is like posh Catholic uh, girls' school, and uh, there's uh, one of them's out with her boyfriend in a punt on the on the Thames, and she glimpses. She gets like a incomplete glimpses oh. of a murder going on. Yes, and uh, then you realise, uh, uh, you know, not far into the movie, you, re- uh, you find out there's this uh, someone's been uh, killing, start killing girls from this school. Yeah, using a, a very long knife uh, in a very painful place, and. Uh, and then they even show there's <laughs> a bit where uh, the the a grieving father that the you know doctor pulls him aside and shows him the X-ray of <laughs> where the knife is. Wow! Like, oh wow. my God! Great bedside manner. Yeah, it's like 
Yeah, just to show you what, what happened. Um, so we've got Fabio Testi in it, and uh, uh, it's got a bit of um, crimmy crossover because it's got uh, Joaquin Fuchsberger, who was in like a bunch of the Edgar Wallace movies and crimmy and, mm. and uh, Face of Fu Manchu and stuff. Um, the the police procedural scenes are really boring. I, I just, mm. yeah, it kind of took the energy out of it for me. Um, but he, he plays Inspector Bart. And uh, S- Solange is played by Camille Keaton. Who do we know her? Where do we know her from? Anything? Um, I Spent in Your Grave. Oh, oh yeah. okay. And the music's by Ennio Morricone. Do we know him from anything? <laughs> About a thousand movies. Was he ever? Did he ever do anything else? I don't know. And then um, the uh, director of photography is uh, Aristide Massachesi, who's um, also known as Joe D'Amato. Oh, okay. He knows his way around the camera, so it's a good-looking movie. Yeah. Wait, wait, murder victim Joe D'Amato? Yes. Mm. Yeah, from previous episode. Yes. <laughs> Actually, um, heart attack victim, but. That's that. Uh, and of course, uh, the next one I watched was The Bees from 1978. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was a Mexican killer bee movie. Yes. Um, I've got to watch all the killer bee movies I can. Oh, uh, I agree. I, I, I can't I think of any I haven't seen now. really afraid of the killer bees yeah. in the early 80s. Because it was big on the news. Oh, my God. I was certain that the bees would have killed us all by now. Yeah. And the, and the, the ones they hadn't killed, they had enslaved. This movie starts out with like it showing you maps of South America and saying like the bees have taken over and killed you know untold numbers of people. Yeah, I was terrified <laughs> as a child of the killer bees. You know the the perfect depiction of of our fears and our hopes in the seventies would be um, Evil Knievel going off of a jump uh, with uh, Muhammad Ali on the back of the motorcycle and a big fist made out of killer bees chasing after them. So that's our hopes and our fears. I, yeah, I always kind of wonder if they're going to go that far in one of these movies, if someone's going to try and you know, run for a river with this big arrow-shaped cloud of bees chasing after them. Uh, but the most catches them right before they jump into the water. <laughs> right. So the most famous person in, in this movie is Gerald Ford. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like former president? Yeah, they, they show like clips of this like uh, uh, parade and he's sitting in one of these little Shriner chairs. With, uh, Being cars stung or... by bees. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go that far again. You know, it's like, oh, man. Uh, anyway, it's got uh, John Saxon in it playing John Norman. Mm. And John Saxon seems to be in, in on the joke because like, he says stuff in there and he's just amusing himself. Right. Oh, man. Uh, uh, at one point, he says um, that adds incest to injury. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> um, and then uh, John Carradine's in it, playing Doctor Sigmund Hummel, and he does he does this Austrian accent. Oh boy! And he's got those like really messed up arthritic hands. Yeah, it's painful to watch. It's, and he had died like six years before the movie came out. <laughs> they just cut in clips of him. <laughs> oh, this is back in 78, so he was still oh, Okay, around. he was still alive. Yeah. So this is around the time of Satan's Cheerleaders. Yeah. Right around shortly that Shortly after time. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Before Ice Pirates. Um, but anyway, um, and then uh, Sandra Miller's uh, played by Angel Tompkins. Uh, mm. she, she's quite likable in it. But so many of the actors are just terrible mm-hmm. <laughs> like hilariously bad There's, if, if you watch any any given 10 minutes of this movie i recommend going in about half an hour in where the the bees start attacking people on a beach it's just the worst oh, it's just this was on shutter really funny yeah yeah okay i'm watching this yeah okay. I, I i think you'll really enjoy it the bees um there's a strange use of honky-tonk piano to announce the coming of the bees it's like <laughs> really how are we gonna what music cue are we gonna do for it what ominous music can we use how about some honky-tonk wow yeah it's really funny and the ending is just it was just your jaw would be hanging out oh do you, man. you think like slim whitman yodeling would have been a better way to bring the bees yeah. in <laughs> um I, I like it where the, the, there's this scene with the uh, united nations so they have these delegates from around the world and they're all played by mexicans and uh you know it's no more ridiculous than you know the british movie where everyone played by british people but anyway yeah. 
uh, you've got this supposed British delegate saying, uh, good Lord, the chap's gone completely raging bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I won't, I won't give any away anymore because it's just entertaining from beginning to end. Um, all right. All right. Turkey Shoot, 1982, directed by Brian Trenchard-Smith, who also did Stunt Rock. Um, this is not a Thanksgiving Day movie, is it? No, there's no turkeys in it. Um, it's kind of like one of those. It's like a Punishment Park, or uh, and and of course, uh, most dangerous game, where they have like a. It's like in a near future, and like uh, all the people that you know, society doesn't want are put into these camps, and then yeah. rich people come along and they they set them out one by one and they hunt them down. Uh huh. Um, I believe that's the president's new plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is... Um, given that scenario, you think, oh, at least it would deliver on being a exciting action movie, you know, a good Australian oh. thriller from, from their golden age, you know, the Mad Max years. And yeah, but it's not. It's got Olivia Hussey in it, Steve Railsback in it. Um, there's loads of violence in it, uh, but it's just... It's really dull. It's just flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, I mean, it's quite. The very end is quite good because like it really delivers on the, the splatter. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's got Brian May soundtrack and everything. But you know, it's like mm, didn't didn't really care about that one. Brian hmm. May from Queen. Uh, no, Brian May did the soundtrack for uh, Mad Max and. Oh, different um, Brian May. Yeah, yeah. Don't get too excited. Right, and even that soundtrack it starts off pretty well, but then there's this devolves into this kind of new honky tonk, (laughs) yeah, theme, cheesy like electronic. Why didn't um, they use slide of a bumblebee? (laughs) (laughs) Um. Anyway, uh, so that's that one. Um, Slumber Party Massacre, of course. Uh, Where'd you find it? Uh, I, I just had it on disc. Oh, you had it on, on his disc. shelf. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I watched uh, Gold Diggers of 1935. Oh, okay. Uh, it's musical. It's like the fourth, mm-hmm. fourth in the Gold Diggers series. Uh, Busby Berkeley musicals. So you get these really weird. You yeah, know, you know Busby Berkeley. Just not personally, but yeah, I'm aware of his work. Um, <laughs> So uh, the the big the famous number in this is uh, uh, Lullaby of Broadway, this huge long sequence where they they do the song and then they go into this whole musical dance number with all these like like fetish gear belly dancers, you know three hundred of them, yeah, tap dancing away and and then they like form into a mob and they and they push this woman off you know she they pursue this woman and she falls off a balcony to her death and they form into a big fist and uh, punch her yeah I, I saw this bit at a um uh when i was a uh, when i turned 10 uh, i was taken up to london for the first time to see this hollywood special effects exhibition uh-huh where they had uh the clip from this because it uses all these uh like uh there's always like German expressionism and Soviet montage and framing and and then like the the the, the death fall. Uh, so um, so it's kind of weird. It's like this is this kind of happy musical and then you get this at the end. Um, and this show also had the like uh, the uh, the the life size as it were hand prop from King Kong. The, oh, the seventies okay. one. Oh, cool. Oh, Coming cool. down through the ceiling, and then this like model woman in the in the palm. It was really cool. Anyway, um, uh, all right, back to Shudder, uh, the Survivor, mm. nineteen eighty. Uh, I hadn't seen this before. Um, so this is a movie directed by David Hemmings, who was in Blow Up and uh, Deep Red. Oh, okay, wow. yeah. And then he went to <clears throat> Australia and he, he worked on um, Turkey Shoot briefly, um, doing like pickup shots and things. And he's also in Thirst, which is like an Australian vampire movie. Okay. Um, this has got uh, Jenny Agatha and Robert Powell and Joseph Cotton in his last role. Oh, wow. Playing a priest. Uh, Ralph Cotterell, who was in um, Ultraman Great. Uh, and again, a Brian May soundtrack, the uh, composer, not the guitarist. Okay. Uh, based on a James Herbert novel, uh, one of his earliest ones from 76. 
And uh, so the, the setup of this is like uh, there's a plane crash and one person walks out unscathed. Okay. And then after a while, the supernatural stuff kicks in. So it's kind of the same setup as um, there was this 84 movie called Soul Survivor, which I like a lot more than this one. This mm. one's uh, I found pretty dull. Uh, so, uh, Final Destination is a more fun treatment of it, where people yeah. get away from a plane crash and they're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, James Herbert himself has called this film uh, terrible, absolute rubbish. <laughs> uh, tell us what you really so that's think. That's a yeah. man. <laughs> uh, and and some some of this, it's not in good nick either. It's like hard to tell what's going on in some of the dark scenes. Uh, the the very end of it has kind of um, got some stylish shots in it. But the plane crash itself is just ridiculously slow. I, it's kind of I was trying to make out what's going on. It's like is this plane still taxiing? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was meant to be crashing. And like, okay. Um, and it's it's told so objectively, you know, a movie like this where you're you're wondering what the status of people is. Yeah, it needs to be really subjective, I think. So you, so they're not sure who is alive or dead and so yeah. on. And what if what they're seeing is true or not? But this this is just like it's too objective, really. Hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, the other hell, nineteen eighty one, Italian non-exploitation. From, ah. from Bruno Mattei. Um music by Goblin. Uh, there's so about three minutes in, you get your first naked nun. Uh, <laughs> All right. A couple of minutes after that, you get genital mutilation oh. by this nun who's who's going. The genitals are the doorway to evil. <laughs> uh, you get stigmata, uh, hen decapitation, a dead cat. You get that dog head puppet. Oh man! Maybe, maybe the same one that was in the Beyond. Oh, that's great! I don't know if it's the same one as it, that was in uh, Suspiria, but yeah, that 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 German Shepherd head <laughs> got a lot of miles <laughs> on that thing. Watch out for that! Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a brief bit of baby boiling. Um, Only brief. There's dangling mannequins and dolls. Uh, there's a blank faced nun, kind of reminds you of Blood and Black Lace. Oh, there's oh, and this movie remind, reminds you about the better movies all the way through. Really. Sure. <laughs> Uh, there's zombie nuns. That's excellent. Um, and it uh, even strays into Frankenstein territory. There's like the whole theme of a rejected child and you know, being punished by the dead coming back. Oh. Um, again, pretty dull for much of it. Oh. So when, when there's not something directly like evil manifesting going yeah. on, it's pretty dull. Oh. Um, mother... mother uh, Vincenzo is played by Franca Stoppi and she has, a, has this excellent diabolical laugh. That's fun. All right, and then uh, uh, Exorcism, uh, 1979, Jess Franco. Oh, wow. <laughs> this one, this one is just sleazy. Uh, you've got, uh, again, an actual creature gets beheaded. In this, this case, it's a dove. Um, pretty early into the movie. Uh, and we think it's a real kill. It's real, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Um, dick, uh, dick move, man. Yeah. But whatever. Got Lena Romay in it. Uh, and there's loads of um, uh, kind of uh, depictions of BDSM by someone who doesn't do BDSM. Mm. You know, it's kind of this kind of weird take on it. Um so you uh, and Franco's in it playing this like ex priest named Vogel who writes um, sadism stories for this magazine, uh, for Venus Publications, and he and his stories are based on uh, his studies of the Inquisition oh. and also things he gets up to. Huh. Nice um, hands-on research. Yeah. So the the exorcism part of it is him exercising sinful women. Oh. Uh, in his own way. Um, so this, this, you know, you know, you know, Franco, right? Right. All right, just pull my plug. Um, so this, in 74, he did this movie called uh, uh, Exorcism and Black Masses. And then that was re-edited with like porn scenes as sexism. And then <laughs> in this one, there's it, it like new footage and uh, it became uh, El Sadiqo de Notre Dame. 
aka exorcism and um uh, and so it's missing the hardcore stuff. It's sure. Still, it's still got lots of softcore in it. So everybody's cashing in on The Exorcist yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Still, you know. And so this is like an exorcism movie without the devil in it, but with, with sex. the Ripper. Right. Okay. Um, it's got quite a nice melancholy soundtrack in it by uh, Andre Benichou. Um And you've got like scenes of Grand Guignol. Um, I thought it was quite interesting about halfway through you've got like scenes of Grand Guignol and uh, nudity staged for these like rich people who are like kind of getting off on it mm-hmm. and then that's so there'll be a long scene of that and then that'll, then there'll be a long scene of uh, the Franco character like uh, tormenting and you know supposedly exercising or basically killing yeah. women uh, and then it'll go back to the grunking and all and it's just like that it's about halfway through it's, I thought it was kind of interesting because it's like different forms of Sadian theatre yeah um, they're both like kind of ritualistic um, you know, performances and uh, and then he reproduces the, his performances as stories and also as the the movie, so you got a kind of meta interest to it. Yeah. But then, like the the police procedural stuff kicks in, and and again, it's really dumb. Mm. <laughs> um, There's definitely a pattern there. Yeah. Um, so uh, I can't recommend that one again. So I, I didn't do very well. Uh, I watched uh, Small Soldiers, 1998, Joe Dante. Nice. I hadn't seen that before. Have you seen that one? Yeah, long time ago. Bunch of times. Yeah? Yeah. You really like it? Did I ever mention this? I I feel like I maybe did. Um, My nephew, Andrew, loved this movie so much Mm -hmm. that when uh, when I was around my sister's family helping out, babysitting the boys and, you know, helping them get to and from school and stuff like this, um, Andrew just wanted to watch Small Soldiers all the time. And so when he wasn't in school yet, I mean, he'd watch the thing twice in a day, you know, maybe three times, at least once, if not two or three times. Loved that movie. And uh, it was VHS back then, of course. So mm-hmm. I think he wore out a copy of it. <laughs> so, Excellent. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Uh, I liked uh, Kirsten Dunst in it and Dick Miller's in it. And yeah. Phil Hartman. Yep. Um, I, I didn't think it was it was funny, and it doesn't really get going until the end. Yeah, that's true. The the um, little action figures don't really get going crazy until pretty far into the movie. Yeah, um, but but you know, it's Joe Dante's is like stuffed with references to sure. like War of the Worlds and yeah, Trollenberg Terrors in there, and uh, you got the cast of um, the Dirty Dozen to voice the soldiers. Oh yeah, and then. Sarah Michelle Gellar and Christine Ritchie voice the uh, the female dolls. Yeah. And Frank Langella does, or Langella does one of the voices. Oh, that's so crazy. Uh, Spinal Tap do um, some of the voices. See, I need to rewatch this knowing that, because yeah. I had no context for any of it, it back then. It doesn't tell you who voices who until the end. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, there's, there's some like, British voices that, that Spinal Tap. Oh, this is some interesting stuff. See, I want to rewatch it <laughs> yeah. sooner than later. It's quite, have you seen that one? Yeah. yeah. It's been a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Watched it at, shortly after it came out, I believe. Let's do for a rewatch then. And then uh, in, the, in the book corner, I've got this book called uh, Euro Horror by uh, Ian Olney. Um, Euro? Euro Horror. It's got the same image on the front from Opera, the, the woman with her eyes held open and... Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Same image that's on uh, Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds. Nice. But um, yeah, it's quite interesting. So the um, uh, so it's basically about why is uh, Euro horror so popular in America now? Mm. Um, you know how how do people relate to it? You know how do Americans relate to it? And and uh, and the, the the basic thesis is uh, um, uh, performing spectatorship. Which is um, so you, you know that that book I lent you, um, recreational terror. Yeah, recreational terror is that, is that Isabel Pinedo. Yeah. Um, so the the that is the idea of horrors is like a contained loss of control. Mm-hmm. But uh, with Euro horror, you've got this um, uh, 
performance spectatorship is when the there's lots of interaction with the audience so it's not like a you know interaction in a video game but yeah a similar idea of uh the movie knows you know the movie knows what you know mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and uh so you know there's lots of to have thrown in it and it comes out of how horror movies played originally in italy and how the uh, uh and it goes into like the history of giallo and um, how how they broke away from the you know the original wave of uh, those books in yeah. the twenties, like Agatha Christie, Cornell Woolrich, yeah. Edgar Wallace, and they'd have the predominantly yellow covers on the is it Monte Fidore publishers? Anyway, whoever remember. it was, I remember but it was, the yellow covers. The, yeah, the, yeah. So the covers are primarily yellow, hence giallo. Then they was were repressed under Mussolini, and once. The fat man swung. The, <laughs> there was like a generation of Italian mystery novelists, and because uh, of all the horrors they'd been through, yeah, and their own sensibilities, they the the their wave of jelly novels were uh, they broke away from the rationality. They weren't as interested in solution, yes, and closure, and uh, you know, uh, solid identities or anything, and then and that begat the movies, where it, um, everything's up in the air. So uh, the people who like who are into these movies, it's very interactive because the way you uh, uh, experience them and and share them with people, and uh, you know, uh, you can explore yourself through them because. Uh, it, it it like throws questions about identity up up into yeah. the air, and um, you know, as opposed to mainstream American movies of today, where things are defined for you down to the pixel. Yes, you know, there's no room for your own imagination, your own mm. take, you, uh, interpretation, any mystery, yeah. you know, uh, questions of identity, and so on. So uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting read on most of the way through it already. Very nice. Anyway. That's cool. I've probably taken up the whole show. No, that's, that's all right. That's, that's a good thing, actually, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> so my recently watched list. <laughs> we'll get into that. My recently watched list um, included The Cloverfield Paradox 2018. Yeah. Um, this, and I just felt like they just took... Uh, a dump. A dump <laughs> on film, on, on digital. Um, I've only heard about it. I've not seen it. The cinema police are coming. Can you hear that? Um it felt to me like they just took some existing script and just stickered over it, you know, with with the Cloverfield oh, okay. brand. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it totally feels like what happened. <laughs> and I heard somewhere that that is what happened. Oh. Like it was just like Joss Whedon, I think, is in charge of this one. Is that right? Is it? I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but anyway. He's, he's smart, though. He is. I but I think he'd do that. Well, I think the idea was that he's maybe so smart that he figures I could just turn anything into a Cloverfield, hmm. you know? So this was some other idea, some other movie. What do you so, mean J.J. Abrams? J.J. Abrams, Jar Jar Abrams, okay. yes. yes. That's right. Why yeah, did he... he's in charge of the Cloverfield. That's right. I get, those, I get those two confused because they start with J. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Jolien did it at and first. They're, and they're and both kind of TV writers, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so that's it, why. It, I mix them up. So Jar Jar Abrams. Uh yeah, basically stickered over some existing story and made it into a Cloverfield. And that's what he does, I guess. It's just like, hey, someone wrote this script that was kind of an alien. Mm-hmm. It was sort of an event horizon. Okay. And uh, and those were kind of mashed together, but uh, they weren't Cloverfieldy enough. So if I just put some of this Cloverfield stuff in there, and then uh, which it didn't really happen much until the very end. And it's a paradox much movie. Much like our last film. Yeah, starting the, to sound uh, familiar. Cloverfield Lane or whatever. <laughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane, yeah. yeah. It, it had fuck all to do with the the first one until, you know, they got out of the... Sh- should I ruin this? If yeah, when she gets out of the shelter, it turns <laughs> out it's really aliens. But right. It's totally tacked on at the end. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it feels like, uh, you know, peel and, peel and stick. Oh, you know? man. So, so this is a... 
hard recommend. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to recommend that you make your own decision on this, people. Um, so what's the basic story here? Give me a quick rundown. Uh, oh, geez. I don't even know if I can. It was just... <laughs> It was just a bunch of people on a ship, and they're like, oh, shit's going wrong, man. Game over, man. <laughs> so pretty much. And it's like... The whole crew was just Bill Paxton. <laughs> Game over, man, at the first sign of trouble. It's like, everything's weird. And it's like, we're in touch with Earth, and everything's weird there. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I don't... I, I gotta be honest with you. I, it, it's, it was forgettable enough for me that kind of forgot a lot of it i remember oh, this weird part and i don't want to a week ago i know i know that's the worst part of this it's like they pulled this stunt and it was a big stunt it's like during the super bowl they're like hey cloverfield blah 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 immediately mm-hmm. available after the super bowl okay so you could go on netflix and just start watching it the moment the super bowl was over all right so it's big stunt is all it was so they got massive ratings because of that mm-hmm. because oh yeah you can tell you know that people have watched so you trick them all into watching, mm. and then you get the big numbers, and then everyone at the same time goes, Dude, "This is garbage. We got duped." <laughs> and it's mm. you know, I would love to hear from someone who thought it was great, but that, that could backfire. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it seems like it should. And um, Jeremy Gardner, who did um, the battery and some other cool stuff, mm. uh, he was he was kind of shouting out on Twitter about, uh, you know, you could have put that same amount of money into a, a bunch of independent films that yeah. were good ones mm-hmm. rather than this big budget one that I don't know if he flat out said it wasn't good, but it I, sounds I, like it. but I read that and well, I just, thought just the cost of advertising during the Super Bowl would probably pay for a, Yeah. Like 10 batteries for one. Yeah. 20 batteries. Right. Which, if you're a new listener, we liked that movie a lot. Um, back to my list. Let's, I don't want to take up a bunch of time okay. talking about the Cloverfield Paradox. Go watch it. Tell what us what you thought. What was the thoughts. paradox? Um, the, par- the paradox, it was basically one of these things where you shoot off into space and then uh, you weren't you because you went through some time warp or some crap. And uh, okay. Your, your other self is on earth maybe I don't know but everything's very very paradoxy so you, you don't okay. have you don't have to explain anything you just be like well paradox no, it's paradox yep so uh, uh, have, you, have you guys seen the following uh, the TV show with Kevin Bacon in it oh I tried to watch that but it had bacon in it when it started out and yeah I couldn't get over the bacon <laughs> um, he looks smaller and smaller every film I see him in he's the incredible shrinking like man. not only thinner somehow but he's getting shorter oh he's only like two and a half feet tall now and he, he, we all know how I feel about homunculi <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of sinewy looking and yeah yeah I don't know. Mm. There is something happening there. They're, they're turning him into jerky instead of bacon. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. uh, it's an interesting show, though, because he's a, a former federal agent, um, and he did, I think, write a book because of his interactions with some serial killer that he was consulting this guy, and then it turns out this guy was a killer, and this guy is in prison and then gets out. And I thought. It would be great to like throw this out there because you, you said that uh, that all these English and and uh, any shows from the UK basically are all pardon my murder. Pardon my murders, yes. And then the one from Canada was sorry about my murder. Sorry about m- boot my murder, eh? And this one is uh, this one would be hey check out my murder, except that the murderer is is a British guy. So. Well, it doesn't matter who the murderer is. It's, it's just, the country it's of origin. More where it takes place and the whole okay. attitude towards murder. So this is hey, check out my murder. Check out my murder. So that's the, that's the All American right. attitude. So uh, it's it's a. Uh, there's no value for human life at all, as far as this thrill kill cult is, is concerned. Yeah. And they literally are just a thrill kill cult, but they're they're. They all sort of worship this serial killer, which I've never understood Mm-mm. people who admire killers. But, uh, yeah, they're, they just kill people and like, it's nothing like no big deal. And even if you've got a few kills under your belt, I mean, it would still th- seem to me it would be an event and a little bit upsetting to you to do it. But, but they're not getting a thrill from it. 
Yeah, I don't know. Just the thrill is gone. Yeah. Now we're just a kill cult. Yeah. Stop being about the fun, and now it's all about the killing. You should just go join a thrill cult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's, well, most thrills aren't illegal. Um, my Criterion edition of Night of the Living Dead showed up. Oh, I, okay. And holy wow, it looks great. Uh, like, when the car is coming to a stop or, or winding slowly on that road up to the cemetery, yeah. you can see, like, tire tracks and rocks and stuff mm-hmm. but it's not all blurry and muddy okay. looking uh when they're in the house you can actually see some detail in the highlights and in the shadows nice. uh, there's wow. different lighting and you know they did some um day for night stuff of course mm-hmm. but uh there's some different lighting schemes that took place in the house where it's more stark but you can still see the detail on ben's shirt which i guess was a yellow shirt um but you can see the folds and the shadows and stuff. And if you stand close, like I do when I first start something like this, uh, like I did with the Carnival of Souls DVD or Blu-ray, um, it's like I'm looking for film grain and you know mm-hmm. hairs and stuff going through the film. And this has just got that grain that you'd expect from 1967 film stock when they were making the movie. And you can just see like the grain moving, and that's it. There's mm-hmm. not a. It's not all shaky and awful and weird and blown out okay and there's some something to be said about the charm of black and white uh, film stock but if it's not exposed properly it can look pretty bad and i never really stopped to think that was this movie like did they have proper exposure it turns out most of the film they pretty much did uh for what they knew how to do and they were probably using a film stock that had a decent amount of latitude so um, even if you're off by a stop or two, you might still get the shot. And yeah. it turns out, yeah, it looks pretty damn good. Excellent. Uh, what doesn't look good are some of the rushes or dailies, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And they had just like a bunch of takes that, you know, they were having a look at how, um, how the Karen Cooper uh, character attacking Ben, how that looked, you know, they were considering some different ways to do it. And uh, so those were some of them they showed. And some of the ones of the Hunter or whatever you call the the posse at the end. Um, and these looked like some alternate ideas of how to set up the shots maybe. And uh, it doesn't look good. You know, it's most of it's, you know, pretty, pretty messed up looking footage, but uh, a couple of different um, commentaries you could listen to some of them that were recorded years ago when some of the actors were still alive uh, who aren't anymore. So it's uh it's kind of cool. You could turn on different commentaries. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Like I told you guys, I did my farewell watch of a bad copy of Night of Living Dead and then, <laughs> you know, just sort of uh, ready for this one. And this one looks beautiful okay. for, for what it is. Mine should arrive this weekend, maybe Monday. Cool. Uh, so I won't spoil the ending for you. <laughs> uh, so that as got us... As long as Ben's okay, I'm fine. Yeah, ben, Ben's fine. He Good. Get, he get, he's, everything's cool. It works out for everybody, I yeah. think. Ben, yeah, Ben ends up in, in a better the new, place. <laughs> in the new nine minutes of footage found. Yeah. All. He jumps out of the fire going, oh my God, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> <laughs> and someone brings a fire extinguisher and then he's fine. Yeah. They will take off their masks and, you know, <laughs> done it if it wasn't for you kids. Yeah, you meddling kids. So we've made it almost 45 minutes into our recording and now I guess we don't have any other choice but to talk about uh, <laughs> this was it this was what I would consider a blind spot for me like I've always heard of this movie okay even back in the day when it was still VHS and you went to a video store I would see this cover and I'd be like hell no this looks stupid <laughs> Boy, was I right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's my, put, put that inside the laurel leaves. Hell no, it's, <laughs> this is stupid. Uh, what's stupid about this to me is that this was written, um, and let me read this to make sure I get the names right. This was written. This was written Full at stop. all. <laughs> um, author and feminist activist Rita Mae Brown wrote the original screenplay titled Sleepless Nights as a parody of slasher films. So it was going to be a parody with a very feminist bent to it, and uh, producers repurposed the script to make a serious, so-called serious slasher film. This is the wiki version. Right. Now tell me what you know. Uh, 
So the uh, this is directed by Amy Holden Jones, mm-hmm. who also did the screenplay for The Relic. Okay. Now, according to her, on the because there's a Slumber Party Massacre website which she has written into. Okay. Um, Rita Mae Brown. Rita is a Mae bitch. Brown. No. <laughs> okay. Rita Mae Brown, who is the author of Ruby Fruit Jungle, which is like a groundbreaking lesbian novel from '73. Okay. Uh, she wrote a straight screenplay, as it were, uh-huh. uh, called uh, Don't Open the Door. Okay. Uh, Amy Holden-Jones, when she uh, decided to direct this movie, um, instead of working on E.T., um, she rewrote it as Sleepless Nights as a parody. Okay. So the parody in what you see is intentional. So the, I'm not sure where that story about producers taking out the parody came from. Hmm. But uh, the funny stuff in this is largely intentional. Okay. And largely not so damn funny. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. There's some funny bits in it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Someone using a machete to lop a drill bit in half. Yeah. It's a, fun, it's a funny it's a, dong it chopping. It works. It's funny. You know. And the bit where she's trying to, she gets a power tool to defend herself with. And yeah. Forgets it's plugged in. Yeah. The, the, you know, those are a couple of things that I thought were visually funny and definitely deliberate. Was there much more? I don't remember there being much more than that. You watched this? No, I didn't get a chance. Okay. It was hard to find. So this I is like a, a copy. I've a... seen this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen two or three of these. I know we rented one because there was the blurb on the box was like something like nine girls, 17 boobs. <laughs> we we're like, what? How does that math work? So we figured we had, I think that was slumber party three and we okay. worked our way backwards, but I'd seen this a long time ago, mm-hmm. but I don't remember much about it. Uh, yeah. I saw it a long time ago and then I rewatched it for this and uh, I quite enjoyed it. It's really, um, pared down, uh, slasher. So it's really basic mm-hmm. plot. Yeah. Uh, it's a paint-by-numbers slasher. Totally. Pretty soon into the movie, you've got a slumber party, slasher turns up, oh, gets right. to slashing. Uh, yeah, uh, that's basically it, isn't you're it? You're not even five minutes into the movie and you see a bunch of uh, women in their 20s playing high school girls mm-hmm. taking their clothes off. Right. So, all right, so you're yeah. on yeah. the right path. At first, and then it gets all messed up for a while. and then. Uh, and uh, Brinka Stevens is one of them. Yeah. So she, um, I'm trying to remember what it was. I was looking for something with Vampirella and mm-hmm. nude pictures of her kept popping up in my. Yeah. She used to cosplay as Vampirella. Okay. Uh, she was, she dressed as Vampirella for some photo shoot or something. Uh, and then like she got spotted and she got invited to. The shows in the seventies, right? So this was a movie that never got made, right? Like they they wanted to make a Vampirella oh, movie, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but they never have. No. Uh, there there was one with um, someone else playing Vampirella, which is like a direct. It didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, it was kind of like for a long time in the seventies. Charles Durning, I believe, it was a Charles horrible, Durning. horrible casting <laughs> choice. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure Durning? I thought it was Bruce Dern. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Oh, he was in it too. <laughs> so, yeah, Brinka Stevens. Um, yeah, a bunch of nude Vampirella stuff popped up <laughs> when I was looking for Vampirella. For... When I was looking for nude Vampirella stuff, it kept <laughs> popping up. Funny it's so that. weird, isn't it, how that happens? It's like, no matter what I do in Google, I keep getting nude nun pictures. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with searching for nude nuns? I don't know. Uh, so so we got conflicting stories here, which is... Yeah. I'm going to guess yours is probably closer to the truth, but um, still, not a very funny movie if it is a parody. Uh, but then again, you know, the slasher... The slasher glut had sort of started at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, we... we had gotten Halloween and a lot of people went, Ooh, we got to, you know, rip that thing off. So it started immediately after Halloween came out in 78. Um, well, the big 
boom was Friday the 13th. Right. Yeah. 81, wasn't it? Uh, so Friday the 13th was 80. 80, okay. And then so the slashes were, there was tons of slashes, 80, 81. And then uh, when because of the glut and because, uh, you know, censorship was like, defanging them. Right. They just, uh, it, yeah, it was pretty tired by 82. Right. Yeah. Although they're still going. Now, this one, um, I wanted to kind of look at this. Uh, I, I wrote my own note here um, referencing, I grabbed the uh, the plot synopsis here. And there's a scene where the where the girls were, were talking about how, you know, yeah, when the folks are gone, we got some of this. And I forget which... Which 70s weed it was, which did, of course, spill over into the 80s. It was always like Maui Wowie or, or you know, Colombian or... Oh Acapulco Gold. Acapulco Gold or Thai Stick. It was always... I think it was Maui Wowie. I think it was Maui Wowie. Yeah. It was like this just handful of, of um, mythic weeds <laughs> that, that you'd probably never get your hands on. And if you did, you'd probably be on your ass. Because People just said they were, and it was always the same dirt weed. Yeah, it was all. It's a but dip. this is some Thai stick, man. Yeah, sure it is. <laughs> it's that stuff that's tied to a stick. Yeah, that's what I thought they meant, but. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, the girls are like, "Yeah, we're gonna do this, woo!" And then the dad overhears them mm. and doesn't seem to care, which I don't think was any parent, maybe. California parents oh, were different. The, uh, oh, isn't that the neighbor? Oh, oh, was to that? Watch her while the parents are away. Oh, is that what that and deal he's, was? He's trying to be all cool because he's like kind of sneaking around a bit. Oh, he's peeking on the girls. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he says, uh, he does something. He says, uh, I won't say anything about the weed if you don't tell them that I was doing something rather. Peeking in the window. Yeah. <laughs> While they were having their naked pillow fight or something. Um, Valerie is next door and is babysitting her younger sister. Yes. Yeah, okay. So she's Robin Rochelle still. Yeah. And then there's two boys from the school who are peeking in the window as the girls are undressing. So that's yeah. some other typical 80s stuff. But they're, they're <laughs> like me. typical gender play. They're, they're, um, they, they, they're kind of like girls. Right. Of the movie. Uh, you know, they're, they're like ineffectual, uh, you know, pretty things that end up dead. <laughs> and, then, and then the women have to get together and uh, fight off the attacker. But yeah, it, that, that's unusual because there's no final girl. There's it's yeah. like three of them. Three of them. Getting up on him. So... Does this work? Uh, it's a, it's like a slasher procedural, isn't it? Yeah, it's so. Um, apart from like the the, you know, the change with the the final girls, uh, yeah, it's so basic and and a few tropes formulaic. It, uh, yeah, I wish it'd been funnier. Yeah. Um, you know, bit bit more of a uh, satire. Do either of the peeping tom <clears throat> kids get killed? They both boys get killed. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember like how that went. I just remember not caring about them, so that's probably right. why when they got killed, <laughs> it's like the pizza guy. They were about as important as him. Yeah, the pizza guy. He's played by uh, Aaron Lipstadt. Who's that? He's um, he's uh, better known as Charles Durning. <laughs> well, before this, he worked on the visual effects of Escape from New York. Oh, and then he he directed Ant. Android in the 83, so the year after this. Uh, and he's done a lot of TV, including Elementary. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so... Android. So the pizza guy gets his eyes drilled out. Somehow. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> I understand. How that, how that happened. It's just they find him, right? Yeah, he, he's just standing at the door hovering a pizza box. Right. <laughs> and then uh, they do end up eating the pizza later on. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm afraid I would probably be the same way. Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna let this pizza go to waste. I'm still hungry. <laughs> right. I mean, sad these people died, but you know, I gotta eat. So, yeah. um, yeah. The uh, the coach tried to help them out, mm -hmm. and instead of calling the police, she just heads over. Right. 
and that that was kind of a bad move, as mm-hmm. it turns out. And uh, well, um, the girls try calling the police themselves, and then Thorn, the killer, uh, cuts the phone line. Right. And you know that's back. That's that's kind of like what they had to deal with back then. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know what they would do now, except uh, well, there's, there's so many of these people in that house. You know, why not just leave? <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, I'll, I'll just kind of blend into the crowd and yeah, you know slip out the door. Besieged by zombies or anything, you know, just like there's a whole bunch of you just walk out the all door. All of you at once. Just scatter. <laughs> you can't get all of you. You don't even need to scatter. You just you just walk out grab as a group, and kitchen go. implements, and baseball bats, and there you go. That guy's beat his ass. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. They they end up. Uh, I don't know if we really need to go into a whole lot of detail about this movie, but uh, um, they end up killing him with a machete. Um, that would be Valerie. Um, yep. Yeah, grabs the machete that's hanging on the wall for some reason. In the, in the tool basement. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's a machete or, you know, kind of mounted there, almost like an ornament of sorts or a piece of art. And uh, she, she ends Souvenir up... Souvenir from Crystal Lake. <laughs> right. That's somewhere at Crystal Lake. It was so at nice. Camp Crystal Lake last year when I learned how to kill. So she lops the, the drill bit in half, which mm-hmm. wouldn't work. Um, no. No. I mean, it would have to be some wrong kind of metal being hit by the right kind of metal. It just wouldn't happen, you know? And, and, uh, and of course, uh, he looks very impotent for a moment. Yes. And then, uh, she stabs him. I think he tries to jump on her and then she just impales him. Yeah. She, so she, she whacks him and he falls in the pool, but then of course he jumps out again and, uh, he ends up falling and impaling himself on the machete. You know, what would have made this movie work a lot better if he'd been sneakier and wearing a mask. Yeah. Of some sort. You know, not, you know, a, a ripoff of another movie or anything. Just if he was a faceless killer or if we never got to see him at all. But we see his face early on in the movie and it just sort of... Yeah. It takes... It's too ordinary, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's too ordinary looking. Um, he just looks like a normal dude and there's not as much threat, even though he is getting away with drilling a hole through the stomachs of all these people. And uh, yeah, I want him to be wearing a mask and... and what mask would you make him wear? Let's see. It'd have to be something really male. How about one of those Ben Cooper masks of a cat? <laughs> those really surprised looking cats. It's all kind of like green and pink and black. <laughs> that would just take it to a totally different level. Or like the the, the really bad Satan one with like the, the fake fur goatee glued on. I think the Burt Mustine old man mask that they used to advertise in the back of mm. Oh, that would be a good one. Well, those were always creepy looking. The shock monster. I don't remember what it was. The that shock was the one monster. that had like the big crazy mouth and then an eye hanging down his cheek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the shock monster. Yeah. Jolien, any thoughts on this one? Yeah. I think it would I think it would work to just something, have... Something like, uh, the, the you know, in uh, New Year's Evil, where he wears a Stan Laurel mask. Yeah. So something weird. like that's like a, a definite male characters that keep the, the theme. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, let's th- let's think about this. Um, yeah, I do like the 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 dirty old man mask is what that one was called, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've got an old Planet of the Apes magazine. Let's see if there's an ad in the back. They were oh, always in the back. Monster sized monsters. Like wear a Doctor Zayas mask. Monster sized monsters, yeah. not man-sized monsters. Um, Kung Fu and Karate. Okay, let's see. Oh, I can get an eerie skull flashlight. Buck twenty-five each or two for two dollars. Damn, who has that kind of money? I wouldn't spend that now. <laughs> Just saying. Um, vampire blood. That's a dollar for a large tube. Ooh, some good ads in here. Some good deals on vampire blood. Only a dollar for a large tube. Yeah, I remember when it was thirty-nine cents. Um, let's see. I don't think there's any more ads. Friends in this and thing. I can get all hopped up on vampire blood. <laughs> oh, speaking of of in print magazines, Fangoria's coming back. Really? Yeah. This was announced, I think, yesterday. Huh. Uh, as we record this, uh, so Fangoria is going to be back in print. New um, 
publisher which bought. is good because print is so alive it's important to me anyway <laughs> i like picking up a magazine and flipping through it oh i love flipping through a magazine but i wouldn't put money into it oh no i mean they're taking a big risk but you know it's, yeah. got, it's got a strong fan base i think it'll work out uh anyway um yeah i think uh I vote. I vote for a Ben Cooper mask or yeah. Collegeville, whichever mm-hmm. uh, name you want to call it by. It's the same cheap blow molded masks that yeah. uh, Vacuform or blow mold or whatever. I think it's Vacuform. Uh, I want. I think the cat. <laughs> I think the cat. I had one of those when I was a kid. I remember. Okay. Do you remember the the smell of the fire retardant in those things? Yeah. Kind of weird, kind of almost sulfury smell to it. Yeah, I remember the the costumes had a real. That mixed with vinyl. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. And then, of course, the little elastic band that would go around the back of the mask would always pop loose. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of miserable. But uh, Stick your tongue through the mouth hole and cut your tongue. Oh, God, I hated that. Yeah. <laughs> and you try and cram a, a, like a Hershey miniature through the mouth, like... <laughs> like you're sticking a credit card into a fucking ATM. <laughs> Never worked. Uh, oh man well on that note uh if any listeners want to suggest on our instagram page what mask would look good on this guy you know we'll, we'll take your suggestions maybe we'll larry find... fine of the three stooges spray mm. spray painted silver i yeah. like that that would be fucking terrifying yeah. silver, the fake hair silver larry fine with a even the hair is kind of caked with spray paint yeah and blood <laughs> that works for me. I don't know wow. why. Oh, you're gonna uh, make that now. Yeah. Oh, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll Photoshop it. I'll Photoshop it personally. I don't mind. Uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I'm I'm up for it. I'm I'm decent at Photoshop. <clears throat> so, anything else you want to throw in about uh, any important facts about this movie, Julian? Uh, well, there's a, like a documentary about the the series called uh, Sleepless Nights Revisiting the Slumber Party Massacre. Okay. Uh, so give that watch if you're a fan. Um, this was known as Slumber Party Murders in the UK at the time because massacre was a taboo word. Yes. Because ah. that makes it different. Yeah. Murders are pardonable. But yeah. M- massacres are not. Right. No one can say pardon my massacre. No. <laughs> right. My <Yeah>. dear sir. <laughs> well, I never. <laughs> Indeed. He's gone bonkers. <laughs> He's dotty. Look at him. <laughs> so why didn't they just call everything like, um, you know, slumber party fluffy bunnies or, you know, mm. I don't know, uh, the Texas chainsaw fluffy oh, bunnies. couldn't say chainsaw. Oh, okay. The Texas fluffy bunnies. I don't know. There's got to be some way around it to where the censors wouldn't even look at it. They'd be like, oh, look at this. Fluffy bunnies, all right. Yeah. Stamp that one, move on. You couldn't say Chainsaw or Massacre or Ninja. <laughs> you couldn't even say Ninja? Yeah, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Really? Wow, yeah. you couldn't say Ninja. Wow. I mean, I ruined Ninja for myself replacing another N-word. Popular <laughs> rap songs. <laughs> right. Then I can no longer hear the word Ninja and not think the other word. <laughs> right. And so Ninja Turtles is totally different meaning in my head now <laughs> so when i was drawing that lego series you had an entirely different idea oh totally yeah <laughs> at some point i thought it was clever i'll replace the n-word with ninja sure so you go ninja what so you're not running around swearing in your head yeah you know i want to sing along with kanye i don't know yeah i can use ninja instead but now i hear ninja and and red flags go up. I think, wait, what? What did they say? Yeah. How dare they? <laughs> See? Oh, this man. Is what, this is what we do in our own heads. Ninja go. What? Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? So, now we know there's a documentary out there. If, if, you, if you should dare watch it. Uh, yeah, there's a whole website. Yeah. It goes into all the locations and... Man. people and everything. Some, oh, some man. people just love this movie. All right. Well, I'm doing the same for Blood Rage. I think Blood Rage. Is, see, Blood Rage to, to me I was hoping this was going to be like Blood Rage. You know, to where you you start watching with low expectations and they surprise you with all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that one missed the mark in a really cool way, and this one missed the mark in a really kind of yeah, flat yes, way. The coach in this would be more like the, the mother in Blood Rage. Yeah. Get me my a... boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so next episode, episode 122, we are going to have a celebrity guest. Oh, yeah. and uh, not mention who it is. We're not going to mention who it is. And, uh, In case it falls through and we have to fill in someone I'll doing just, a funny voice. It'll just be me. <laughs> be like, well, I'm sorry Richard couldn't be here, but we got Paul Stanley from KISS. <laughs> Hi, everybody! <laughs> How y'all doing tonight? <laughs> yeah, we can... Uh, so you could work on your Larry Fine impression uh, and then uh, we'll just have an interview between Larry Fine and Paul Stanley. <laughs> there we awesome. go. That would be great. So um, we've covered this one as much as we're going to cover it. Slumber Party Massacre. Watch at your own risk. And um, if you're in the UK, uh, Slumber Party Fluffy Bunnies uh, or whatever you want to call it. Just don't say massacre. Murders. Oh, that's right. Murders. You can say murder. Okay. You can say murder. Yes. Oh, yeah. You Just can do murder. You can pardon a murder. As long as you, you know, say you're sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Pardon, pardon my murder. Pardon my massacre. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. You'll be deported to Australia. Right. Yeah. To the penal colony. <laughs> it's got penal in it. All right, listeners, uh, we're going to uh, be back in one week with a uh, celebrity guest, and I think you'll find that an incredibly good episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, anything else before we get out of no, here? No, I don't think so. Well, thank you for listening. Stay off the moors. <laughs>